five seconds to submergence. Submergence deep into the absurd. Okay, we are back. Once more for this Myth of Sisyphus series, which is a long one. It's uh, very thorough. Very thorough. All right, so we're on section two drama, and that is section two of The Absurd Man, essentially the chapter where Camus goes through what he defines to be the absurd man. The man, a person who essentially has all the ideals of the absurd is enveloped and at one with what he defines to be the absurd and the absurd man is again the person who does nothing for the eternal who has no hope who risks it all and who is aware of the fact that they cannot know for certain anything. That is, they know their logical limits. They know the limits to their reason, at least to an extent. Yet they still live their life. And they go about it with regard to other people because they live for the sake of living. And they live for the moment. So this section is second to drama, and it kind of goes through Camus. It's kind of Camus' argument for why the actor is the absurd man uh, in its essence. So before I dive into that, I just want to do some housekeeping items. The giveaway was concluded, or it's been concluded. A guy named Michael listening to the podcast um, emailed me and I sent him my personal copy of The Man Who Killed God. Now, again, as a reminder, I changed the title to On Death and God. I just think it's a better title, less controversial. And if you want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is scrolling down to the link in the description and purchasing my ebook or the print version on Amazon. With that said, I just wanted to remind you all that I am considering doing a book club with my girlfriend, Maddie, starting in January. So if you're interested, just shoot me an email using the contact link on the website. All right. And uh, please check your junk mail. If you don't see anything from me after you send an, uh, after you send an email to me and I send you one back, it is possible that that goes straight to your junk mail. So please check your junk mail. Um, if you don't see anything within 24 hours. All right. Well, let's jump right into it, guys. So, second to the absurd man, drama. And again, I highly recommend you read just the whole myth of Sisyphus uh, before even listening to this podcast, uh, just so you have your own conceptualization of what the, what Camus is trying to portray to you before you start listening to what I say about it. Right. That way you can form your own opinion about it. And that way you can, uh, I don't know, send me an email and disagree with me. If I say something you don't, you don't like, or you disagree with, or that you think is wrong. Right. 
So it, it's good to have some discourse there. Okay. So to Camus, the absurd finds itself most readily within laughter. The actor lives out many different lives, right? Uh, however, all these lives are totally and absolutely within that life when he does so, right? He he plays his part knowing full well that he will simply play another part tomorrow. Nonetheless, he plays that part with all of his spirit, truly becoming what the script demands of him. Indeed, acting is quite the absurd career. One pretends to be someone else, right? It's it's very absurd. You're, you're spending your whole day basically playing pretend, uh, like when you were a kid. And of course, the the, the thing there, right, is uh, is that the child is the last stage of uh, of Nietzsche's metamorphosis, right? Camel lion child. You start off as a slave, and then you rebel, and then you're free as a child. So, so it's interesting here that that Camus is choosing the actor as the absurd man because the actor does something quite childish, right? The the actor pretends to be someone else every time that they act. And it, if we want, we can compare that to Nietzsche's child, right? The the child is that thing which which is totally free, always in the moment. And well, likewise is the absurd man, right? The the absurd man is free. They're a stranger. They're always in the moment. So the actor, right? That that brings us back to the actor. Um, it, it it's someone who pretends to be someone else. They pretend to have a made up life, doing made up things as a made up person. But what Camus is realizing here, with its comparison, is that average everyday life isn't really all that different. Right? Mo most jobs are made up by someone or some organization. Names are made up somewhere along the line and given to us by our parents randomly, right? Because they they, they saw some movie or heard a song or the, their grandparents' name is that name, right? And our personalities are based off of made-up beliefs of who we are and what we want out of life, right? Then, well, life itself is a story that we must that we must play out to the very end, right? In in a sense, we are acting our way through these lives. Fake it till you make it, right? That that old cliche. We're all actors playing a role on this planet, and it is quite absurd because once the lights go out, there's no rewatching our movie. So the actor, likewise, is one constant blank slate who plays various uniquely different roles. This reminds me of how Camus always says that it didn't matter what life you were born into. And he, he, he says this a lot in The Stranger, where like, oh, I could have had this, you know, I, I could have been born into this life or that life. Uh, it, it doesn't really matter one way or the other, right? Um, because it, it doesn't matter because you'll still be a thing experiencing reality. It's, a, it's just a different side of reality. It's almost similar to the Eastern idea of reincarnation, we're all one soul living out different lives. And just like this soul and Don Juan, the actor plays out many different lives. He exhausts them, as Camus would say. Yet he does so with his entire soul. He truly becomes the character he plays. 
he's totally enveloped within it, right? He he does it to the fullest. That's the important thing. Quote, the play's a thing, says Hamlet, wherein I'll catch the conscience of the king. Catch is indeed the word, for conscious, consciousness moves swiftly or withdraws within itself. It has to be caught on the wing at that barely perceptible moment when it glances fleetingly at itself. The everyday man does not enjoy tarrying. Everything, on the contrary, hurries him onward. But at the same time, nothing interests him more than himself, especially his potentialities. Whence his interest in the theater, in the show, where so many fates are offended him, are offered him, where he can accept the poetry without feeling the sorrow. End quote. So to understand the first bit of this, we need to get context on Shakespeare's Hamlet. In Hamlet, the title character's father is dead, but he thinks the king killed him. With that said, Hamlet puts events related to his father's death in a play in order to get a reaction on the king. Camus is saying that the ordinary man will watch a play and feel the message it is trying to portray without looking down on one's own life. They... They, they look at it and they can kind of like feel all the reactions, but they, uh, they don't have that everyday normal re repression that you might see in someone, right? Someone might cry looking at a play or laugh a little bit more, right? They, they let loose a little bit more. Now, if you watch a play that is eerily similar to your own life and, quote, nothing interests you more than yourself, then you'll certainly give a reaction. Yet this reaction may only happen for a moment. And it is in that moment that Hamlet is trying to catch the conscience of the king. And consciousness is fleeting. It either moves onto the next subject or introspects. This is where I'm reminded of Sisyphus. When Sisyphus walks down the hill, following his fallen boulder, he is in his moment of consciousness. At least that's what my uh, that's what my professor called it. And I think that might be what Camus refers to it. Uh, during the myth of Sisyphus chapter. But we'll, we'll catch up on that later. This moment of consciousness is rare because the everyday man just keeps on moving to the next thing. Over and over again, he simply can't stop. His mind is constantly occupied with an endless stream of possible futures, while his body is engaged with attempting to reach those futures. The play puts these possible futures to a halt, and he is forced to look at other realities unlike his own. Right. It is here that one can find the conscience of a human being. Looking outward at another life, one can finally see inward. Quote, there at least can be recognized a thoughtless man, and he continues to hasten towards some hope or other. The absurd man begins where that one leaves off, where, ceasing to admire the play, the mind wants to enter in. Entering into all these lives, experiencing them in their diversity, amounts to acting them out, end quote. So Camus is again saying that the absurd man seeks to exhaust and live out all possible lives. While the ordinary person will look at a play and admire it, the absurdist becomes the actors on the stage. Again, the absurd man is entirely and absolutely in the moment since he does not live for an eternal ideal. With that said, the same applies to when he watches a play 
or a movie or a TV show. He becomes entranced. And his imagination wanders to the actors on the stage, uh, wrapping himself within the illusion of it all, right? The absurdist acts these lives out and exhausts them because it increases the quantity of their experience. Remember earlier when Camus said that what the absurd man cannot unify, he multiplies. He cannot have a unifying experience nor a unifying personality, so he must act out many different experiences and personalities. So I, I kind of want to ask here, uh, maybe any of you have, have considered this. I just wonder, would the absurd man or absurd woman, would they, would they lucid dream? Would they be lucid in their dreams? If they're always in the moment, would they even be aware that they're in a dream? If they're in a dream, that's my question there, especially since uh, I know on the last chapter, I was kind of making a comparison to the absurd, uh, the absurdist kind of staying in the garden or, you know, if they're in the matrix, they don't take the red pill. They stay in the matrix. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are. Maybe I'll leave it as a question in the episode for Spotify or you, you can leave it in the comments on YouTube as to whether you think the absurd man would stay lucid in a dream or if they would leave the matrix. So let me know in the comments. Um, we'll move forward. Well, the actor's realm is that of the fleeting of all kinds of fame. It is known. His is the most ephemeral. And for, for those of you that don't know, ephemeral just means fleeting. Um, I had to look it up. So, <laughs> so don't worry if you're lost there. Now, take this into context. Remember, this was written in the 1940s before movie stars and movies were really even a thing. With that said, actors were basically just famous during the plays they were in, not afterwards, right? So it was a very fleeting, ephemeral career and type of fame. But we can more easily see here why Camus chose the actor to be his example of the absurd man. He plays his role for a very small fraction of his lifetime, right? With that said, the actor lives out a life with a limited time frame, which I think to Camus allows him more easily live it to the fullest and be totally present. Following this, he clarifies, quote, all kinds of fame are ephemeral from the point of view of Sirius, which is the North Star, in case you didn't know. Doth's works in 10,000 years will be dust and his name forgotten. Perhaps a handful of archaeologists will look for evidence as to our era. That idea has always contained a lesson. Seriously meditated upon, it reduces our per perturbations to the profound nobility that, in, that is found in indifference. Above all, it directs our concerns toward what is most certain, that is, toward the immediate. Of all kinds of fame, the least deceptive is the one that is lived. End quote. Okay, so what he means is that the actor, quote, lives out his fame. And living out this fame is important to the absurd because it is certain and immediate fame, right? He is, in a sense, utilizing fame as an analogy for the everyday, immediate experience of life itself, right? It doesn't matter if you're famous in 100 years, because one, there is no guarantee of that. And two, 
that isn't your current reality. You're you're not going to experience that fame in the future. You're not going to experience an experience that you're imagining that's coming up in the future, right? Someday far off in the future, your existence will be nothing but a long lost memory of the earth's, right? Nothing but dust in the wind. Quote, from the fact that everything is to die, someday he draws the best conclusion. An actor succeeds or does not succeed. A writer has some hope, even if he is not appreciated. But the actor, not to be known, is to, is not to act. Not acting is dying a hundred times with all the creatures he would have brought to life or res resuscitated. End quote. So the actor must have fame. Because the entire purpose of acting is for other people to watch you act, right? You're, you're putting on a show for other people. You're an entertainer. You're supposed to bring to life another reality for people to gaze into. In a sense, this is the absurd creation in which Camus is speaking of. The absurd man, again, multiplies what he cannot unify. That is, the absurd man creates. And the actor, unlike the writer, must create their realities for a live audience who's directly in front of them. There is no hope in this. There is only the current experience, the current act in which they play. Even for the people in the play, they can only experience it while watching the play. Right. That is, for both the actor and the audience, the experience is fleeting. But he makes a comparison to the writer here, right? The, the writer... The writer eternalizes their mind through the words they write on the page. After that, they can only really ever hope for fame, but likely never experience it themselves, right? And, and hope, if you're hoping for something, uh, again, remember, if you have hope, you can't be absurd. There is no hope with the absurd because the absurdist only basically... They, they, they don't hope because they have limits to their reason, right? They, they're not going to believe something that they have no proof of. They're not going to believe something that they can't know for certain, right? And they can't know for certain anything, right? So the, there is no hope for the absurdist. And therefore, if you're a writer, you, you can't be absurd because you're, you're writing things in hopes of this future world. You're not living in the moment. You're living for the future in which someone will eventually read your work. So the, the writer attempts to immortalize themselves, which is very much not absurd. Writing amounts to permanently etching one's ideas onto a piece of paper, or at least until the paper itself decomposes. The actor has no future, and the writer only has a future. Obviously, we can see the irony here because Camus is a writer. However, he idolizes plays and actors because he himself was a playwright at one point. Now, what comes to mind here is the Hadza tribe of Africa. The Hadza people are one of the last hunter-gatherer tribes left on the planet. When kids here were given the opportunity to draw pictures on paper, they drew their pictures, and no matter how good it was, they got rid of it. Why? Because looking at their drawings sometime in the future made absolutely no sense to them. Now is the only reality that matters. So these people create things, admire them, and let them go. So too is what the actor does. And I, I wanted to take a step back. Because in the podcast with Jamal, we discussed the similarities between Buddhism and absurdism. 
right? So the, the fully realized Buddhist or the, the Buddha, say, he would experience things, experience feelings, and then let them go, right? The, the enlightened one is not emotionless. They're very emotionful, right? They, they have lots of emotions and they express their emotions. But after expressing them, they let them go. Likewise, it's what the absurd man does, right? The, the absurd man has emotions, expresses them, and then lets them go. Or in the case of creating art, the absurd man would create their art and then let it go, right? They, they have no use looking for it or looking at it in the future. So for the actor to not act is to let all the possible roles they could have played go unplayed. It is dying a hundred times, as Camus says. It is what Merceau said to the chaplain when he referred to him as living as a dead man. If you live this life without experience, experiencing it now, if you don't live for the now, then it will be as if you never lived at all. Right. Okay. So Camus explains how the actor is much like the traveler who, quote, drains something and is constantly on the move. End quote. Going back to Kundera, the absurd man lives many lives because he is not weighed down by the concept of being. He's not weighed down by anything eternal or any eternal responsibility to the present. He's totally and absolutely free. The actor is not weighed down by an identity, and the traveler is not weighed down by a home. Nonetheless, they carry these lives with them, right? Quote, occasionally when reaching for his glass, he resumes Hamlet's gesture of raising his cup, end quote. Now, this isn't to be confused with the actor collecting his past selves, right? But more so exhausting them out of him, out of reflex, right? It is much the same with how Don Juan says the same speeches over and over. It is not because he recalls what he had previously said, but rather because that is just what comes natural, right? The, the actor's characters live within him. Just the absurd man's experiences live within him. Likewise, does the traveler's adventures become a part of their skin, right? You, you go to Mexico, you, you come back and you're, you're all tan, right? That, that's a part of you. Or maybe you pick up an accent while you're away. Quote, always concerned with better representing, he demonstrates to what degree appearing creates being. For that is his art. To simu simulate absolutely, to project himself as deeply as possible into lives that are not his own. At the end of his effort, his vocation becomes clear. To apply himself wholeheartedly to being nothing or being several. End quote. I want to put emphasis on hearing creating being here. From the subjective perspective, one can only be so sure of the appearances of reality, right? That is, all people know of the world is only what the world appears to be, right? All we have to go off is our senses. So to what degree does appearing create being? Or what degree, what degree, right? I believe Camus and the actor would argue that when discussing being, appearances cannot be separated. You can't 
you can't separate what things appear to be with what they are because because our perception of what things are are based off of what they appear to be to us right now this projecting into a life that is not his own and the being nothing parts of this i think are nods to the absurd man's indifference to the self and reality the absurdist like the actor is a blank slate they're nothing right yet through their experiences and characters they become several things while this body and these characters are not his own he projects himself into them as much as he possibly can Quote, the rule of that art insists that everything be magnified and translated into flesh. If it were essential on the stage to love as people really love, to employ that ir irreplaceable voice of the heart, to look at people, to look as people contemplate in life, our speech would be in code. But here silences must make themselves heard. Love speaks up louder, and immobility itself becomes spectacular. The body is king, end quote. I mean, uh, we can really see uh, Nietzsche's influences on Camus here, right? The, the body is king. Uh, Nietzsche would always say that, that the body is kind of the soul, our soul aspect, right? It, it's everything that makes us us, right? Because the body includes the brain without the body there is no brain without the body there is no consciousness right the body is king it's very important now silences make themselves heard when an actor is silent right when when you're watching a movie and you see an actor be silent right that that silence is heard right because you're watching them do something we see the way their body is when they're quiet and we imagine the thoughts or feelings going through their head, right? The, the actor wears their emotions and voice on their skin just as much as they do with their words. So the absurdist living in the now and fully in tune with their emotions allows their body to act as it naturally would. Since symbols are meaningless, quote, the body is king again, right? Camus goes on to express that the actor carries a silhouette of themselves with every character they play, and that this is a contradiction. Quote, the same and yet so various, so many souls summed up in a single body. End quote. Now, as you've probably picked up by now, Camus is really trying to hammer into us that the absurd man, although one person, has a multiple multiplicity of cells within them. Nothing is for certain, and there are endless possibilities in life, right? The, the absurdist knows this, and they're not attached to any one possible life or adventure, or, or even one possible personality. The absurdist is stranger, and to be a stranger is to be someone who is simultaneously unknown to the world and the world unknown to them. With that said, they are free to be anyone. There are no expectations or parameters or boxes in which they must fit in. And since they cannot unify their vast array of interests and personalities, 
they must multiply them. I'll leave you off with the last little bit of this section, and I'll catch up with you guys for section three of The Absurd Man, which is Conquest. All right. Quote, to the actor, as to the absurd man, a premature death is irreparable. Nothing can make up for the sum of faces and centuries he would otherwise have traversed. But in any case, one has to die. For the actor is doubtless everywhere. Time sweeps him along, too, and makes its impression with him. It requires but a little imagination to feel what an actor's fate means. It is in time that he makes up and enumerates his characters. It is in time, likewise, that he learns to dominate them. The greater number of different lives he has lived, the more aloof he can be from them. The time comes when he must die to the stage and for the world. What he has lived faces him. He sees clearly. He feels the harrowing and irreplaceable quality of that adventure. He knows and can now die. There are homes for aged actors. End quote. Peace out, everybody. Take it easy.